And moms and dads, if you would uh, get your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. And I want to ask you the question that I asked these kids just a few minutes ago. Every adult out here. Have you ever been really alone? I mean really, really alone. Uh, we got a slide here of, of, of 1.7 million protesters in the Hong Kong streets. Recent slide uh, for democracy, for, uh, for freedom, demonstrating for freedom. I will guarantee you, you can be right in the middle of that crowd and be completely alone in your own heart, feeling alone. Have you ever been out to sea, felt all alone, on a ship with maybe 5,000 other people? Have you ever been home by yourself and felt so terribly alone? Did you ever go away to college and you felt completely alone? Go to a new school and, and enroll in the class not knowing anybody and feel completely alone. Are you alone in the middle of a crowd? If that's the case, you're not by yourself, which is kind of ironic <laughs> because you're not alone if, you're, if you feel alone sometimes. Forbes magazine, online magazine, May 3rd article had this, Millennials and Loneliness Epidemic. How many are millennials? I don't even know what that is for sure. It's, it's, is it like, what ages does that include? Uh, 1980s or so? 2000? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. If you're a millennial, listen to this. This study done, Millennials and Loneliness Epidemic, that in spite of a social media explosion that you're all aware of. It's in that article. It says, and I quote, according to a 2018 survey just from a year ago, um, more than two in 10 adults in the United States and in the United Kingdom uh, say they always or often feel lonely or they lack companionship or they feel left out or isolated. Figures like that uh, are, are stunning. And, and, and being alone outright, and the, the article says, uh, kills us and, and affects our lives. The scourge of loneliness is an issue that we're going to hear ever more about in the years to come. It continues saying, scientists have long known that loneliness, listen to this, is emotionally painful, we know that, can lead to psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and even hallucinatory delirium. But only recently have they discovered how destructive they are to the physical body. In 2015, researchers at UCLA discovered that social isolation triggers cellular changes that result in chronic inflammation. How weird is that? It can actually affect your cells. Loneliness can predisposing the lonely, I'm quoting again, to serious physical conditions like heart disease, stroke, metastatic cancer, uh, and, and Alzheimer's disease. One analysis pooled data from 70 different studies and found uh, and followed 3.4 million people over seven years found out that lonely individuals have a 26% higher risk of dying, and this figure rose to 32% when they lived alone. So science and scientific studies and surveys are figuring out what the Word of God had to say hundreds, even thousands of years ago. If you're in Psalm 142, a psalm written by King David, verse 4, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. The NLT says it this way. 
I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. This is David, a man after God's own heart. This is not some person who was difficult, hard to get along with, and couldn't, didn't like people. This was, a, this was an outstanding young man who grew up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, who followed the Lord, who was obedient to the Lord, who uh, fought off bears and, and lions uh, from, the, from the sheepfold, uh, fought them off from the, from the flock, rather. Uh, this was the one who was, said, is there not a cause, and went down into the valley to fight the giant Goliath using only a slingshot. This is David. This is the one who would become the second king of Israel. And he said, no one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. This was written in the cave of Adullam, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Remember the cave of Engedi? That was the cave of hatred. Remember, remember Saul went in and, and, and David could have killed him, but he didn't. Uh, he was, this is a different cave now, uh, and he's feeling down. He's, he's absolutely beside himself. He was being hunted by the nation's most powerful man, the king of Israel, uh, and thousands of his troops. And why was he being hunted? Because some girls had sung a new song. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. David got jealous. Hey, here's a thought I had studying this this week. I've never had this thought before. You, may, you probably have, but I'm kind of slow. So I thought this this week. I bet you David could have licked Saul. I'm thinking a guy who could take on a lion and a bear and a giant could probably have taken care of Saul. That's what I'm thinking. But he didn't. He didn't do that. He wouldn't raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. David wasn't by himself. He had 400, 500, 600 guys with him at this particular point in time. But he felt all alone in the middle of that army. He had his wives, but he felt all alone. Where are the girls singing of his exploits now? Where are they when he's feeling all by himself? I just wonder again, have you ever been in his shoes? I have. I remember a time being that way. Sailors, have you ever been in his shoes? I, I bet you have. I bet there have been a time you've been out on, under a gray sky and a gray ship on a gray sea and felt all by yourself. How about it, addict? Do we have anyone who uh, had an addiction with drugs, alcohol, whatever? You felt like no one cared. No one had any, uh, we're, we're offering any help. No one would come to your aid. How about it if you're divorced? Have you ever felt that way? How about it, single mom? Have you felt all by yourself? What about it, college student? You go off to a strange campus. I'll never forget going to the University of Illinois. A little town I kind of did most of my growing up in, in Crete, Illinois. Um, you know, 3,200, 3,600 people is what we had in our town, and I go to the University of Illinois campus in Champaign-Urbana, it's like, uh, at that time, 28,000 students. I, felt, I was right in the middle of a, of a it, it may as well have been a city, and I felt alone. Does it ever seem like no one cared about you or your situation at all? There are hundreds of thousands of people who feel the same way in this metropolitan area. Now, we know someone who does care because the next verse says, You are my place of refuge, O Lord. You are all that I really want in life. If all you have is God, you've got everything. If all we have is God as our friend, then we are not alone. But like I said last week, sometimes we just need somebody with skin on, huh? 
We need somebody who is a human being who will show some compassion and show some love. And if we don't have someone who will reach out and show us compassion and love, are we willing then to show compassion and love to someone else who needs it? I had a preacher say one time he had a, a lady in his church who kept having nervous breakdowns. I mean, she was just, this back when you, ladies had nervous breakdowns. They don't do that anymore. But they used to have nervous breakdowns. And, and he said she, she would come in. And so if one day she came into his office and she said, I think I'm going to have another nervous breakdown. He says, I know what to tell you to do. And she said, what? He said, go home, bake some cookies. She said, what? He said, go home, bake some cookies. She said, what are you talking about? Go home, bake some cookies, and then take them to the hospital. And go from room to room and find people who don't have anyone visiting and see if they want a cookie. That would really fly with diabetics. That'd be a good way to. A donut? <laughs> or a donut. That would work. So, so she, she, next thing you know, he didn't see her for weeks and weeks. And he saw her in a hallway one time at the church. And he said, hey, hey, what about that nervous breakdown? She says, oh, don't bother me, preacher. I don't have time for that. I've been taking cookies and flowers and doing all kinds of stuff. She got concerned about others. So to have friends, you've got to be friendly. To have a friend, be a friend, like, uh, like Abigail said a minute ago. So if you feel lonely, why don't you reach out? Why don't you be like Miss Pat or Miss Nancy who said, you want to be my friend? Yeah, you want to be my friend? Yeah. And they are friends still to this day. If you're a visitor today, know there are people in this room who will care for you. More importantly, there's one in heaven who loves you supremely. So you can't say with David, there's no one who cares for me because we do. Secondly, no man stood. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God speaking here through his prophet. I look for someone who would, who would bar the door and keep people from going into this room of destruction. I, I look for someone who would stand in the gap in the hedge and, and sound out the warning and let people know that they need to turn around and go back because the direction they're going is wrong. Israel was in the midst of a conspiracy of evil. And, and as I read this, it's almost like reading about today in 2019. The priests, the princes, the prophets, the people all refused to stand in the gap. They were all doing their own thing. They all went their own way. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People are looking everywhere but in the right place. And God was looking for someone who would stand for righteousness, who would pray, who would stand in the gap. So he wouldn't have to destroy the nation, but he found none. God's looking for people today who will stand for him. Had he found someone to stand in the gap, it might have made all the difference in the world. Ten people, ten people could have saved Sodom. Abraham interceded. You remember that conversation, don't you? Abraham interceded, and, and he, he found out they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that God was going to destroy that city. And, 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 they, and Abraham said, if we find 50 righteous, will you spare the city? Yeah. How about 40? If we find 40 righteous, yeah, we'll spare, I'll spare the city for 40. How about 30? How about 20? He got down to 10. Lord, be patient with me. One more time, I ask you, if I find 10 righteous people in Sodom, will you spare the city? God said, yes. Abraham said, well, that's a done deal then. Because Lot's there, and his wife's there, and his daughters are there, and his sons are there. And their spouses are there. 
Surely they've influenced Sodom enough they've got ten righteous people in the city. But they hadn't and they didn't because no one stood in the gap. Sodom had Abraham who tried to intercede. Israel had Moses who said, Moses said something I have never said. Moses said, blot my name out of the book of the living, out of the book of life. If you'll save my people, if you'll, if you'll forgive them, blot my name out. I've never, said, I've never had that kind of love and that kind of passion. Paul said the same thing virtually. He said he was willing to go to hell for his nation, for his people. He loved Israel so much, he was willing to go to hell, and he prayed for them. Do we pray for America? Or do we just condemn? Do we just find fault? Do we just gripe? Do we just moan? Do we pray? The reason America is in a mess today is because of Christians who don't do what we ought to be doing. We're not the salt and the light and the preservative and the, and the illumination. We're not, we're not standing in the gap the way that we should. Will you pray for America? Will you pray for San Diego? Will you pray for your neighbors and your neighborhood? Will you pray for the people in your own household? Jesus is our example. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? You say, well, preacher, that, what are you talking about? That's 2,000 years ago. John 17, 20, he said, I don't just pray for these alone, but for them who shall believe on me through the word. I pray for them who shall believe on me, future tense, because of the word. He prayed for you. Thirdly, no man stayed. 2 Timothy 4, 16, Paul said, no, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. Well, that same thing happened to Jesus, by the way. In his crucial hour, in his hour of being take, being arrested and being falsely accused and being uh, prepared for crucifixion, execution, everyone fled. Paul's going through the same thing. He was in a jail cell. He had withstood Alexander, the coppersmith, in a <clears throat> spiritual battle. And now he was all alone in that dank, dark cell. Have you ever stayed with someone Willing to stand alone if necessary, if they had to. The wisest man who ever lived said, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And he continued by saying, three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Jerry Falwell used to say, we better hang together, because if we don't hang together, we're going to hang separately. I love that. Christians don't need to be fighting other Christians. You know that, don't you, right? Christians don't need to be attacking other Christians. We're part of the same family. We're going to be in the same heaven someday. Fact is, we don't ever have to be by ourselves. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, Paul said in that same chapter. And in Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the famous triple negative. I, it basically, he was saying, I will never, never, ever leave you nor forsake you. No man stayed. Number four, no man ever helped. This is a story in John chapter 5, verse 7. I know some people 
contend that it's uh, the, the veracity of the story. They, the, there's this pool at Siloam, and, and the pool was, uh, the water would stir at some point, and people who would get in that pool when the water was stirred would be healed from whatever malady was afflicting them. And there was this man who was, who was unable to walk, who had been beside the pool, spent most of his life there, 38 years there, And he had never been able to get into the water to receive the healing because whenever the waters were stirred, whatever that means, whenever the waters were stirred, people would beat him down into the pool. He couldn't move fast enough. And he says in John 5, 7, I have no one when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. Nobody stays with me. Nobody cares. No one helps me. Do you know there are people perhaps in the row you're sitting in who may need help, may need help that you can give them. Do you care? Will you help them? Jason Griffith's mother passed away. And right away, there's a meal train, uh, meal train set up. Um, Several, Monica, I think we, a prayer chain went out when, when your baby was, was sick. And, and others of you, when, when things happen, we try to get the word out. And people here will take the initiative to get the word out to pray for or to provide some need that someone has. And that's, that's what we need to do. Jesus helped. We need to help other people. But his help was a little unique. Because he, first of all, says something that I'm thinking, why would he say that? He said, do you want to be healed? What? I've been sitting by this pool for 38 years. What do you mean do I want to be healed? I'm sure the man didn't say that out loud. But he probably thought that. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he said, would you like to get well? Not everyone wants help. Or at least not everyone wants to do what they need to in order to receive help. You would be shocked, surprised, maybe, at the number of people over the last 50 years of ministry who have come to me for counsel, and when we identify what the problem is and what the need is and give them the answer biblically of what they need to do, they fail to do it. You would be shocked at that. I'm like... And sometimes they'll keep coming back. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm still having problems. Did you do what? And I did I do what I asked? No. Did, you know, I meant to. Just didn't get around to it. Number one thing that will help you with most of your problems in situa- is getting saved. Trusting Christ. Repenting from your sins. Turning around. Living for God instead of for self. That's number one thing. Forgive people. You carry around that bitterness. You carry around that anger that eats away at your insides. When you're supposed to forgive them, how many times over the years if I said to someone, you've got to forgive that person, you've got to forgive your mom, you've got to forgive your dad, you've got to forgive your brother or sister, you've got to forgive whatever, whoever it is, you've got to forgive. And they say, I can't through clenched teeth. Preacher, you don't know what they've done to me. 
I don't know what they've done to you, but I know what they've done to you was not worse than what we all did to Christ. And with outstretched arms, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if he can forgive us, and he tells us we have to forgive them, others, then we need to do it. Some people come with financial problems. And their mind, I tell them, I tell them, are you tithing? No, I can't afford tithing. I say, you got to start tithing. And their mind, you can see a little explosion go, poof. Smoke curls out of their ears. Their eyes light up for a minute. You're not putting God first in your finances. Don't expect him to bail you out. <coughs> tithing just simply recognizes that every good gift we have comes from God. Everything. And all of it really is his. I read something. Did you send this maybe, Rachel? <coughs> I can't remember who sent it. Somebody talking about um, everything they have. And they talked about the, their jewelry. This was a lady, I guess. Maybe. Maybe it was, I don't know. I said, the gold in, in my rings, it's God's. He gave it to me and when I leave here, it's still going to be here. You can put it in the casket with you, but it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay right back in the ground where it came from. It all belongs to God. Get saved. Forgive people. Begin tithing. Put others before yourself. Husbands and wives, so much would be solved if you would just simply, in honor, prefer one another. It's like, Pat, where would you like to eat lunch today? Oh, I don't know. Where would you like to eat lunch today? <laughs> I don't care, Pat. Just tell me which way to go. I'm getting ready to pull out of the parking lot. Oh, go wherever you'd like to go. But, Pat, I really don't care where we go. I just need to know. What... <coughs> you know, just anywhere is okay. I saw this on the Internet this week. Loved it. There's a lady sitting in a jail cell in death row, and they're saying, what do you want for your last meal? She says, oh, I don't know. What would you like? <laughs> okay, think about it a little while. Think about it a little while. Put others before yourself. You know the problem we're trying to be happy when the problem is we need to make people happy? Because happiness is a byproduct of joy, which is the real thing. Happiness is kind of ephemeral. It's kind of, it's just short-lived. It's just a little bit, it can, hangs around. It can last about a nanosecond or two. But joy is something that abides. And when we put each other first, I've told you this, I, my wife loves tomatoes. Loves tomatoes. And sometimes we get whatever lunch, and, and she, maybe, we don't, maybe I get a tomato and she didn't get one. I give it to her. I like my tomato. I love tomatoes. But I love to watch her eat them because I know how much she enjoys them. Put others before ourselves. So do you really want help? Do you really want help? Then do life the way the giver of life says to do it. Not going to happen if you don't. You're not going to have. 
Number four, no man helped. Jesus can still heal physically. Hey, look, if, you, if you've ever been healed, it's because of Jesus. It's not because of Dr. So-and-so. It's not because you had your gizzard cut out. It's not because, sorry about that. It's, it's not because of some pill you took that, that magically destroyed the bacteria. God is the healer. God is the one who created this incredible machine we call a physical body and made things work together. And yeah, doctors, he uses doctors. And yeah, he uses medications. And yes, but you know what? Before, Look, in my lifetime, penicillin was discovered or invented or whatever they did to it. Before that, people would get infections and they would get healed because God is the ultimate healer. God who created us can heal us. And so it's all right to pray for healing. It's good to pray for healing. To the layman, do you want to walk again? Do you really want to be healed? Yes. Okay, then take up your bed and walk. No drugs, no doctor. No. And I'm not saying don't do drugs. Don't do, well, I am saying don't do drugs. <laughs> Preacher said we could do drugs. Uh, <laughs> prescriptions that are appropriate. Prescription, yeah, that's okay. Um, and going to doctors when you have a problem, there's another, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying that's a lack of faith. I'm not saying that's a, a human solution. I'm saying, you know, do what we can with what God's given. Understand, though, that ultimately when they cut you and when they sew you back together, the knitting together of that, of that tissue is because God had something to do with it. He not only heals us physically, he heals us spiritually. In fact, the spiritual healing is much more of a miracle than the physical healing. Number five, no man counseled. Isaiah 41, 28, for I beheld and there was no one even among them. There was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. And here Isaiah is chiding the people for following idols. The idols could give them no advice or no counsel, no direction whatsoever. And though they had eyes that were carved out, they could not see. And they had ears that were carved on the sides of their, uh, their metal or wood heads or whatever, but they could not hear. They had mouths that were formed and fashioned, but they could not speak. They had feet, but they couldn't move on their own. They had hands, but they could not help. Have you ever been without good counsel at some point in your life? Your dad and mom weren't there. Your preacher wasn't there. Your Christian friend were not around. Your husband, your wife were not there. <coughs> and you needed some counsel and you needed some guidance. And can I just say that the world's counsel and advice a lot of times is just plain stupid. It is so counter scripture, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Worked in a hospital, psychiatric hospital. One of the, I remember specifically a young man came in, teenager, and he was, he was depressed. He was beyond depressed. And, and, and his doctor, his psychiatrist, his, his board certified, I don't know how many years, decades of, of getting his certificate to give whatever counsel this man said, you need to go find a girl and get a bottle and go out and have fun. That'll lift your spirits. And pardon me, but what an idiot. Lust 
chemical use is a poor substitute for the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, no substitute at all. Idols, instead of the true and the living God, idols who you carve, you become the creator of an idol, and that's going to help you somehow? Instead of turning to the one who created you? By way of contrast to the idols, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. (laughs) When Jesus spoke, people were hushed in amazement. Even the Roman officers took note of Jesus' teaching and said, never a man spoke like this man. Never. They tried to trip him up. You remember that? They tried to, can you imagine trying to trip up God? <laughs> we're going to catch God here. We're going to catch Jesus. We're going to catch him, and we're going to ask him a tricky question. Number six, no man interceded. I've got the whole chapter written. I'm not going to read it all. But in Isaiah 59, the prophet outlines the dilemma that Israel found herself in. Says it's, I just, a couple of verses here. It's your sins. This is the problem. Here's the problem with Israel. Here's the problem with America today. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away, will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies. Your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deals. They give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spiders webs for crying out loud is that describing america their activity is filled with sin violence is their trademark their feet run to do evil they rush to commit murder they think only about sinning misery and destruction always follow them that's the problem the results follow in verses 9 through 15 so there is no justice among us are you are you amazed how justice is turned on its head in our generation Save the whales, but kill the babies? I'm not for abusing pets, but you you throw some kittens in a dumpster, you get a jail term, you kill a baby, and it's okay? You don't want to bake a cake for someone that can ruin you, take your business away? What is that all about? I don't care what the issue was. Where's the freedom to say, you know, we'll, we'll serve you or we don't want to serve you. Take your money somewhere else. There are other people who take your money. Justice has turned on its head. We know nothing about right living, he says. We look for a light, but we find only darkness. We grope like blind along a wall. We growl like hungry bears. We moan like mournful doves. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it's far from us. Why? For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Oh, my goodness. We don't need to pile our sins up. We need to get them forgiven. We don't need just to pile up. We need to ask God's forgiveness and get them removed from us as far as the east is from the west, put in the depths of the deepest sea, and a sign put up, no fishing. 
God doesn't ever call him back up again. Once he forgives him, he forgets them, he says. The God who is omniscient forgets our sins. We've turned our backs on God. He says, our court supposed the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets. Honesty has been outlawed. Truth is gone. Here's the solution in verses 16 through 21. No one intervened to help the oppressed, so he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm. His justice sustained them. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance, wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. In the west, the people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. And he's talking about the Redeemer. In verse 20, he says, the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. In Isaiah 59, 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor Have you ever tried to be an intercessor for somebody? You ever tried to intercede between a husband and wife? Between a parent and a teenager? Between business partners who are at odds? It's a sweet thing when it works. Imagine for a minute we had no redeemer. Imagine we have no intercessor. That means every sin that Jim Bays has ever committed, every sinful thought I've ever had, every activity I've been involved in, every deed that I've done, the guilt of it, the shame of it, still resides upon me. But I have an intercessor. I have someone who's a go-between. I have someone who approaches the Father for me. There is one God and one mediator that can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. By the way, you don't have to confess your sins to me. If you do, it's all right. I'll write them down. I'll have a sermon series when we get through. But you don't have to confess your sins to me. You don't have to confess your sins to some priest. You don't have to confess your sins to some pope. You confess them to God Almighty. And you can do it because what Jesus did for us in redeeming us and being our intercessor and our mediator. He stand, he sits rather at the right hand of God the Father, interceding in our behalf. He is our advocate. He is our attorney. He is our representation. Satan excuses, Christ excuses. Satan accuses, Christ excuses. His defense is that the sin has already been paid for through my shed blood on the cross of Calvary. We can't say there's no one who cares for us because Jesus cares for us. We can't say no one prays for us because Jesus prays for us. We can't say no one stays with us because Jesus stays with us. We can't say no one helps us because Jesus helps us. We can't say no one counsels us because Jesus in his word counsels us. We can't say we don't have anyone to intercede for us because he is our intercessor. He is able also to save them to the uttermost to them that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So what do you do? Man, turn to him. You you lonely today? You got a God who's... You know the other verse? In order to have friends, you must show yourself to be friendly. You know what the next verse is? Know what the next verse is? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that friend 
is Jesus. And because of that, you can be a friend, not just a friend, but a family member of God's family. Bow your heads with me, please. Would you like to be able never again to have to say no one cares for me? No one prays for me. No one stays with me. No one helps me. No one counsels me. No one intercedes. Would you like to be able to say, never have to say that again? Then you turn to him. You repent of your sins. You ask God's forgiveness. You, you prostrate yourself before him. You bow before him. You ask him to cleanse your heart and your life to forgive you, to be your Savior. If you've never done that, do that right now. I'm going to help you. If you'd like to repent of your sins, turn your life over to God and want Him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, then pray something. Dear God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I pray you would save me. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die one day. By faith, I believe that Christ died for me. And I ask him to come into my life and to be real to me today. Save me for Jesus' sake. With every head bowed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, would you raise your hand up? Hold it up high. Just for a moment, hold it up high. God bless you. Anybody else? Yes, God bless you. God loves you. God cares for you. God intercedes for you. God counsels you. Would you stand with me, please, everyone? Look up this way. On the back table, right by the sound booth there, the table right at the end of the hallway here, there's some blue bags that have some information in them, and one of the things they have is, is the next step, and what do you do now? If you pray and ask Christ to be your personal Savior, one of the things you need to do is let other people know about it. Don't be ashamed of him. Be, be thankful. Be grateful. Let other people know you're trusting him. So pick up that bag. It'll give you, it'll go step by step what you need to do. And we hope that if we can be of any help to you, you'll let us do that. But if, if you're here this morning and you want to come and say, you know what? I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I want Christ in my life. I'm trusting him for it. You come right now. Fitz is right down here talk with the guys. Rachel's right over here. Pat's right down here. Uh, John, right back in the back for the guys. And, and so gentlemen, come and talk to Fitz and John. Ladies, come talk to my wife or Pat. If you want to come and receive Christ, if you want to come rededicate your life, if you want to come for special prayer, you want to come to be baptized another, at a later date, join the church, whatever it is, come and tell them. We're going to sing a verse, maybe two, no more than two verses. So step out on the first verse. The people who are between you and the aisle will be glad to let you by. As the praise team leads us, come on right now. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the about you come on invitations for everyone anyone Lord, I need you. Oh, I every need hour you. 
Just the chorus. Just the chorus. So come on. Come on right now. It'll be time for you to come. for being here today. I want to remind you, if you're helping out with the manna gifts, we're feeding children in Pakistan, Karachi, Pakistan, about $28 a month. We'd love to have you help out with that. Uh, we're getting new chairs. They're supposed to be here the second week of September. Uh, average cost of about $65 each. If you want to help out with that, that's fine. If you, if you don't, you can still come and sit, sit on them. It's okay. No problem. We're glad just to give you the opportunity to help. Check the bulletin for weekly uh, events coming up next Sunday. I'll be preaching on Are You There? And we'll be having communion. It's the first Sunday uh, of the month, so we have communion scheduled for that. Also, there'll be a, an announcement for our uh, Financial Peace University class that will be starting again, so someone will be giving an announcement about that. In two weeks, we have the uh, Fellowship Potluck, one of my favorite times. Man, there's some good food there. Good eating there. So I don't know what there is about Baptist churches and casseroles, but man, they're good. Uh, so come be with us. Sign up. Bring something along. If you can't bring something, come anyhow, and we'll let you eat, too. We'll let you eat. We'll let you sit. We'll, we'll just we'll accommodate you. Ladies, Friday morning Bible study starting back up on September the 6th, I believe. Uh, Joy will be hitting that up. Is that correct? So, uh, ladies, take note of that. Is Bobby still here? Did he have to go to work? Oh. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> Scare me to death. All right. Would you, sir, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer today and ask God to bless us because all day is the Lord's day. Father, we're so grateful just being able to be here today to sing praises to you, to hear your word, to smile at each other's faces and say that we are loved because you love us. Mm -hmm. God, we praise walk out through these doors that your spirit, your love, that sent Jesus to the cross would abide in our hearts. We will share that with the world outside of these doors. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.